Music. Reviews. Chat. Poems. Comedy. Writing. Interviews. ELFM. It's radio for so much more. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Red Kite Radio, the show by young people, for young people. I'm Sam Armitage, and coming up today we've got a jammed, packed Red Kite show. We've got a live interview with Denise O'Connor and Scott Anthony Martin from the ONS Census. We've got a big interview with illusionist Tom Cassani, and we've got some news on an ice cream fan. And I don't know anything about the ice cream fan, I think Tony's going to... Dabble a little bit into what the what's going on with this ice cream van. I will. Breaking news: There's a brand new ice cream van coming soon to the streets of Seacroft. So we'll be telling you all about that. Plus, International Women's Day coming on East Leeds FM. Big full day of broadcast on Monday as well. So thanks, Sam, and hello, Peter. Hi, Tony. Hi, everybody. So, so we've got coming up in a bit. Uh, like you say, the the. Tom Cassani in just a little bit, who is a magician and an illusionist who has teamed up with us at East Leeds FM. He's got some plans to bring some magic to Chapel FM when we reopen as well at some point later this year. Um, He joined us, uh, the Next Gen Broadcasters, to talk about the ways in which magic and illusion have some surprising things in common with radio. So stay tuned for all of that in a bit. But first, Sam did mention the ice cream van coming and... uh, We've been part of a partnership with a group of organizations in Seacroft, our friends at LS14 Trust and Fall Into Place Theater and Seacroft Friends and Neighbors and others who have banded together to purchase a fantastic vintage ice cream van that is going to bring ice cream but also all kinds of other things. It's going to go around the community giving out information about COVID vaccines and ways people can get involved in the community. And it's also going to bring art or soul food as we call it, so music and writing, and of course radio, and maybe even theater and other art forms as well. And one of the pieces of news is that the ice cream van needs a name and a design. So anybody listening out there, there's information that we'll be sending around uh, to the community of how people can suggest names and designs for the ice cream van. So keep an eye out for that. We'll post that on the Chapel FM website as well. Sam, what do you think about the idea of a mobile ice cream van that also does radio and music and things like that? How does that uh, strike well, you? As a lover of ice cream and a lover of radio, I think if you put the two together, you can't really go wrong, Tony. Excellent. I mean, I, I'd love to just enjoy a bit of an ice cream whilst presenting Red Kite, maybe, or any other radio show. And, and Peter, also, what do you... Yep. Giving out, you know, giving out the uh, the vaccination news as, as well. You know, it's helping the community. You can't really go wrong with it. Great, great. And Peter, I know you've been involved a little bit in some of the ice cream van discussions. Do you have any any thoughts or dreams about what the ice cream van can bring to Seacraft? Well, I I uh, I always think the sound of an ice cream van is such a a beautiful sound. You know, it's a, you imagine you're a, it's a summer's afternoon and. You hear the the chimes of the ice cream van drifting over the park, you know. So I think it's a cheerful sound. It's a cheerful idea. As Sam said, you know, ice cream is a is a fun thing. I don't know anybody who doesn't like ice cream. <laughs> uh, I know a few people who don't like poetry, but yeah, we'll, we we can handle that. So I think there's plenty to do. Uh, some people who were involved with the LFM a few years back might remember the Caravan of Love, which ah. was uh, we used to 
we used to drive around to different festivals and do broadcasting from. So in a way, it's a bit of a successor to that, but more of a community resource uh, in, in this case. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And one last thing about the ice cream van. It's also going to be giving out over the Easter half term what we've called the fab thank yous. And coming from the United States, I didn't know what fab was, which anybody else, can anyone help me out there? What's, what's a fab? <laughs> uh, fab is kind of just short for f fabuloso. But apparently it's also a kind of ice cream. Is uh, it? A, oh, really? you didn't know either. Yeah. Um, no? Yeah, that's what I we learned. And so, for fabulous. No, it's a specific kind of ice cream with lots of sprinkles and a very big font. And so the, the fab, your fab thank you is people are going to be nominated from around Seacroft, people who've done something special to help out their, their neighbors or their community in some way. And the ice cream van is actually going to show up at their house uh, with lots of fanfare, some trumpet players and maybe even a stilt walker and deliver some fab ice cream to people who've been nominated for just for doing something a little special to keep us connected during lockdown and help other people out. So might be great to hear us. Yeah, it might be great to hear the story of of, of what of a story of regarding this each person, each fab person, and what they've done. Because of course, the word fabulous, being a wordy bird, <clears throat> comes from fabulous. I think from the the word it means story in Latin. So fabulous just means great story. So let's have some stories ah. with the ice cream van. See, I haven't thought about that. Well, fable, right? Same root, I imagine. Yeah, absolutely. Great. All right. Well, we've got another idea on that. So, well, we're going to move from ice cream and jump a little bit. We're going to talk about the census. But before we go from ice cream to the census, in between, we've got a bit of magic and illusions. So, Sam, do you want to just say a little bit about Tom Cassani, who joined us earlier this week? Yeah, sure. Uh, on Wednesday, uh, I, I and a few other people from the Next Generation broadcasting team had the uh, pleasure to interview Tom Cassani, who is an illusionist. And uh, we talked to him a little bit about how he started, about his favorite tricks. And uh, we even asked him if he could do something on the radio soon, which you'll hear later. But yes. I, think, I think we'll be going to that really soon. Right, Tony? Absolutely. And in fact, our very own Aaron Dawson, who'll be joining us a bit later, got Tom to commit to inventing a magic trick that will work on the radio. So I'm very curious to see what Tom's able to come up with. But... So in just a moment, here will be Tom. But first, we've got the Beatles to take us into the interview with Tom Cassani. Here they are. we 
Welcome back to Red Kite Radio with the Next Generation Broadcasting Group. I'm Sam Armitage and I'm here with Autumn, Aaron, Tony and our very special guest and illusionist, Tom Cassani. Hi, Tom. Hi. Tell us a bit about yourself. Like, How did you start getting into magic and illusions? I think it started like how, how it starts for a lot of people. You get given a kit when you're a little kid and um, I learned all the tricks in the kit, formed them all and then I you know tucked the kit away and then a year later got it back out again and you know performed the tricks again but then one year I started performing tricks to people I didn't know um but then as I got older I realized that I didn't want to be a magician necessarily I wasn't really interested in being this character of the magician I was interested in what magic could do and how magic worked in a wider sense of performance so um, I went and studied performance art and carried on playing with cards whilst I was doing that. So you said you'd done some work with like theatres and that, and I'm just sort of interested in how the magic like relates to theatre. In some of my performances, they, or in some of the performances that I've worked on with other people, um, there's a, a theatre a theater show which um, is perhaps a story or is perhaps one person performing on their own, uh, talking about something um, particular to them, to the audience. And part of that theatre show, um, that artist might want there to be an element of magic. So not necessarily, um, the show isn't a magic show, the performer isn't a magician, there's not a character of a magician in the show, but... um, they might want there to be a magical moment that um, assists in the story they're telling. Living as we are in a time, I suppose, when things like deception, illusion, those kinds of things have become so much more present in our lives, whether it's coming from you know people in power or social media and fake news. I feel like we're, we're living in a time when what's true, what's not, what's deceptive, how people can even use things to manipulate our attention. Has any of that sort of changed how you think about magic, illusion, these kinds of things? Or do you feel like there's a way in which the kinds of things you do somehow can maybe help the rest of us distinguish even the difference or maybe become more tuned into to some of those kinds of aspects yeah. of life today? I think when you go to, a, to the theater or when you go and watch a magician, you're walking into that place kind of acknowledging that you're going to be lied to, you know, straight away, that you go to a theatre knowing that this isn't real, this is pretend. Or you go and watch a magician accepting that, um, you know, they don't actually have magical powers, but they're going to do stuff that looks like that. Um, so already in that meeting of an audience and those performers, there's a kind of mutual acknowledgement that there is something um you know deceptive about that interaction that you're having and for me the the performances that i make talk about that interaction um i talk about the fact that i am pretending i talk about the fact that what i'm doing isn't real um and that is the subject matter of a lot of the performances that i make um i don't i suppose directly say you know, this is about, you know, fake news and misinformation. Yeah. But I, I draw attention to 
the um you know the tricks of the trade and the the ways in which i'm manipulating an audience and i make them aware of that and in some ways you know you could say that an audience then goes away um a bit more informed mm. or they've engaged with the fact that they're being lied to and they can do what they want with that information but um there's definitely an awareness of what's going on in the outside world and you know and that interaction with the audience there's definitely a link there so it's curious that because um sometimes people like we were talking about are people inventing magic tricks they often draw on um you know marvel characters or superhero characters to create magic tricks that mm. um are based on idea uh, characters like that or based on powers that characters mm. like that have so there's some tricks out there that there's a whole corner of the world of magic that is you know magic tricks with fire you know making fire appear at your fingertips and there's loads of different ways in which you can do that um and often those tricks are like marketed as super you know superpower tricks i was, uh, I was gonna say i saw one of those kind of tricks and it's a guy who has a it's basically gonna let you into a little secret here behind the scenes it's called flash cotton and it just sort of flies up like flares up and burns but um, with no residue visible. He sort of developed it from watching X-Men. And there's a, a character in X-Men called um, Pyro. Oh, yeah. That sets things on fire. Yeah, I know the trick. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's also there's some magicians who base their kind of characters or performing characters on, you know, I mean, there's lots of different categories of magic, isn't there? There's close-up magic, there's mental magic, there's um, bizarre magic. But some people base their entire acts on, you know, pretending that they've got superhuman powers and doing tricks like this. A lot of magic, or from what I've seen anyway, is based off of real life things like the elements, like fire or wind. Like, for instance, there's a thing in theatre where you can make someone fly and it looks like they've just been lifted by a big breeze. Yeah, yeah. Or, you know, we... If you've got a camera, you can shake it and it makes it look like an earthquake. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, a lot of illusions are based off truth. It's true. And I think, I think part of that is to, um, I mean, to make it believable, for, as for one thing, is to, um, we can imagine that there might be wind so powerful that it would blow someone over. So it's not such a leap to imagine that there might be wind powerful enough to lift someone high into the ground, uh, high into the air, sorry. So that kind of, you when, when you're constructing tricks or thinking of magical ideas, you know, making them seem plausible or linking them back to something that we know is true and real is often a way to um, make them believable or make them interesting to an, the everyday audience member. That's very true, yeah. Young minds, inquisitive minds, joyful minds, brilliant minds, coming together, red kite.
and welcome back to Red Kite Radio. Um, here we have Denise and Scott who have joined us to talk about the census. Hello everybody. Hi, good afternoon. Hello, hello. So uh, my name's Aaron by the way. Um, and I want to ask you a couple of questions about the census. Okay. So I think we might start right. So this might sound a bit silly, but I don't actually know what a census is. Yeah, you're not the first person that said that to me in the last couple of weeks. So the census basically is a survey. So it'll ask you questions about yourself, your household and your background, where you've come from, um, your ethnicity, your religion, that sort of thing. And we do this every 10 years in the UK. And why? It's a great question. So basically everything that you spend, um, all the tax money that gets put into a big pot, that needs to be decided how it's going to be spent. And so a lot of the census questions will go towards providing information that helps to underpin and evidence where that's going to go. So what are like, what are some of the questions you get on the census? Like, Well, it, it asks things, um, for example, about the makeup of households, the type of accommodation, your occupation, your ethnicity, religion, marital status, state of health. Um, for the first time, there are some new questions. Um, one question is whether you've served in, served in the armed forces. And then there are some voluntary questions for over 16s about your sexual orientation and your gender identity. Um, and these new questions, they're, they're there to kind of allow us to understand and, and represent everybody's interest. And then obviously provide services that are needed and share the funding that Scott was talking about, make sure that's shared fairly. And for anyone out, sorry, sorry, Sam, you go first. Mate. No, I'll go. I'll go. Uh, how how do you go about getting a job for ONS? Like... <laughs> now that's a big question. Um, ooh, there are many different ways in, and the majority of people who work for the ONS have got a statistical background, something to do with maths at university. That definitely isn't the case with myself, and uh, I don't think it is with Denise either. Rather, um, we saw adverts that were looking for people at the sort of start of last summer, really mid lockdown. Um, when I was thinking about what I could do next. And um, yeah, just targeted adverts on social media work well, I guess. I saw an advert for the management position and thought I'd jump in. Why, 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 do you, why do you want to be a part of what you do? Why do you, why do you want to do what you do? That's a great one. Dee, do you want to take that one? I'd say um, there's absolutely nothing magical about the census, but I do think it is pretty special because, in effect... Every census, not just this one, but every census creates history. Um, we take all of this information, and as Scott has said, we use the facts and, and it, you know, local councils and nationally, they look at how funding is spent. But all of your personal details are very, very safe, and they are locked away for a whole century. They're locked away for 100 years. And then... Um, genealogists, students, all types of people look at these um, these facts and figures, these personal data um, in 100 years, and a lot of people chase their family tree, that type of thing. So when you complete that census, you are creating history for future generations, and that's what makes it so special. Can I just yeah. ask a question, Denise? Um, I think the historical... Uh, uh, reason to do it is absolutely fantastic yeah and a lot of people wouldn't know about their families in the 19th 18th century wouldn't be able to trace their family trees if it wasn't for the census but these presumably are all kind of papers stuck in uh, in some 
in some basement somewhere. How's the information going to be stored and how are we going to access it in 100 years? Well, it will all be obviously archived um, digitally and put away. Sorry, what was the question? How will we access it in 100 years? Yeah, because I'm just a bit worried that, you know, it's, if, it's, if it's not on paper, <laughs> I'm like an old-fashioned sort of person. You know, you know where you are with, some, with a big sheaf of paper. But, you know, what? supposing we've got some sort of different different technology in 100 years 150 years i mean i just wonder if any if it's written down rather than just digital digitized um i don't know whether scott can add any light to that sure. he's certainly more techie and goodness knows what type of tech will be available <laughs> in 100 years scott mm. can you add anything to that i can yeah i'm hoping it's something a bit more exciting than um than paper but just like we've moved on from using paper to using computers and that change obviously has happened relatively quickly um i'm sure there will be something around in 100 years time that will be the case but just like we still can read paper and use paper nowadays i'm sure that you know they'll be able to look back with whatever future technology they've got in 100 years and be able to decipher the, the sort of technology and the coding that goes behind it because computers are computers ultimately and records that are say digitally no doubt can be interpreted digitally as well no matter what technology they use that's reassuring thanks so uh, i got another question so from what i know as a census it literally comes from the bible story <laughs> uh, you know but like there you had to go to your place of birth so like i'm presuming nowadays i don't have to go down jimmy's to like you know, <laughs> register well so i think i think i think Sorry, the census on. did uh, originate in, in ancient rome um and i think it was first used in order to calculate taxes and so it was originally every five years and it was from the latin word sensere meaning to estimate so that's what we're doing. We're kind of estimating, enumerating what is going on. Um, but I don't think you, you'll have to leave your home to do it because the letter will arrive uh, at your house. And the exciting thing is this is a digital first census. So we're going to direct you to go online and hopefully be able to complete it online. And there is, however... Please sorry, go on. carry on. Uh, I was just going to ask if, if people trouble with online, is there any other ways they can do it? There's absolutely loads of help uh, available if you can't do it online. Um, in the first instance, you can order a paper copy if that's what you would like. And if you are, uh, if you call the number and you'd like to order a paper copy, you can possibly say you'd like a large print copy, or you might want a bride a braille guidance booklet. Um, lots of other things like text relay prefix. Um, and, and online help, they're easy read, lots of help should you need it. So it's all very accessible, there's no sort of reason for you not to fill it in. That's no. right. No. Go on, Scott. We're, uh, we're proclaiming quite proudly this year that this is going to be the most accessible census that we've ever had in more than 200 years. So, um, yeah, we're really proud of the, the accomplishments that we've managed to produce, working with a, a bunch of different organisations from around England and Wales in order to produce all of the documents that Denise, Denise has said and more. We've got relationships with people who produce some fantastic British Sign Language videos, for example, which are available on the website, census.gov.uk. Um, and that's where you can find, you know, signposts to all of the avenues of support. So East Leeds FM, we're based in Seacroft. And for listeners in our community in particular, is there anything about why doing the census is particularly important and how it might affect their own community going forward? Mm, definitely. 
So I mentioned before that the, the census dictates where taxpayers' money goes. So that will also include things like um, how many schools places there are compared to the population and what the demand is like. It will also include things like religious services as well. So if people who are religious, there needs to be appropriate um, services and places of worship in that area, as well as things like hospitals, roads, public transport. Basically, if you use a public service without knowing, you're using census data. So it's really important that you're part of this. Basically, think of it like a refresher. 2011 was the last time you could submit your census data. And so the data we have now is 10 years old. It's out of date. So it needs refreshing with this year's version. So we have time, I think, for one or two more questions. So if, if Gianluigi, Aaron, Sam, Peter have any more to ask. And then I think we're going to hear a couple of pieces of music selected by Scott and Denise. And so we'll ask you to introduce your music as well. But first, any other questions? John or Sam? Um, I know this seems like a bit of a silly question, but is there a particular reason that the census happens like every 10 years? Yeah, that's a great question. I hope Denise doesn't mind me taking this one, but I quite enjoy answering this. So that basically, you could do it more frequently, but obviously it's going to incur a cost, and it's quite a big operation to be able to put forth. There's more than 40,000 members of staff who are involved in some way, shape, or form in putting forth a census. So having it more often will be quite a big undertaking, and having it less often means that data isn't going to be quite so fresh. So we think that 10 years is kind of a middle ground. It's the Goldilocks, you know? It's, it's that sweet spot that comes in the middle. So uh, just going off the back of that, if this happens every 10 years, what does those 40,000 people do for the gap in between? Denise? I'm sorry, did you say what did the 40,000 people do in between? Yeah. yeah. I think it, we are um, taken on on temporary contracts, so there was a lot of recruitment done near the end of last year, and I think it may actually still be going on, and, mm -hmm. and we're taken on just for that short time to go into the field, to go um, speak mm. to people, and then that, that's it, that's our job done for the moment. And in fact, if anybody's still looking for work in the local area, there are still a couple of jobs available. If you go to the website, censusjobs.co.uk, then there are some temporary jobs available coming up over the next couple of months. That sounds great. Yeah. Uh, so before uh, that, that concludes our live interview, it was great learning about the census with uh, you two today. Um, before the show, uh, we asked you to give us some uh, pieces of music that we could play on the show. And we always... Uh, we always ask our guests to do that. And uh, I'm just going to let you two uh, go ahead and say why you've chosen the songs that you've chosen. Introduce them. Brilliant. Denise, you want to go first? I shall. Well, I am a big fan of 80s music. That is my era. And I'm a big particular fan of Blondie. And my favourite song is One Way or Another. Um, and I was going to suggest that, but then I thought it might, might sound a little bit sinister because it says we're going to get you, get you, get you. And so... <laughs> I put Blondie to one side and I chose another one of my favourite artists and I opted for Prince Purple Rain and the reason I chose Purple Rain because purple is our corporate colour and anybody who knows me knows I love my corporate colour. So I've gone with Purple Rain with the fantastic artist Prince. And for myself, I went with the, uh, the sort of 90s throwback classic um, <laughs> from, from the Rednecks. Uh, which I think will kick off everyone's weekend quite nicely. And also the lyrics, I think, are somewhat appropriate because they ask about where have you come from and where you're going. And I'll leave that with you. Well, thank you. Thank you, Denise O'Connor and Scott Anthony Martin from ONS Census. Is there anything else that you didn't get to mention that you want to want to say? Denise? 
Uh, maybe Denise has dropped off. Um, yep, really quickly. Um, if you're interested in finding out more information about the census, please go to the website www.census.gov.uk. There you can find all the support and the phone number if you prefer to speak to a real-life human being and get some assistance with your census. Thank you. And here's Scott's selection, Cotton Eye Joe by Rednecks. Hello everyone, welcome to East Leeds FM. We are joined with Ian and Fiona from the Leeds Lit Fest. Uh, can you tell us about yourself and introduce yourself maybe, uh, starting with Ian? Yeah, um, my name's Ian Harker. I am a poet. 
I'm an editor of uh, Strix magazine, um, which is a poetry and short story uh, magazine based in Leeds. Uh, and I'm one of um, the partner organisations or organisers um, of Leeds Lit Fest, which is now um, in its third year. How crazy is that, Fiona? <laughs> yeah, so I'm Fiona Gale. Uh, like Ian, I am one of the partners of Leeds Lit Fest. Um, in my own right, I work for the Leeds Library uh, as their marketing and communications officer, but also I run Leeds Big Bookend and Northern Short Story Festival. Um, so I've got many hats, and um, usually all with a literature kind of tilt to them. So, um, yeah, I, I'm big into books. Put it like that. <laughs> So uh, first of all, can you just tell us what Leeds Fest, Leeds Lit Fest is actually, actually is? Yeah, we can do that for sure, George. Um, so Leeds Lit Fest is a, uh, an organisation that has 10 partners um, and we're all arts-based organisations and Chapel FM is one too. Um, so we know Peter very well. Um, and um, so we exist to promote literature in the city and our partner organisations have been doing this for uh, many years individually and uh, three years ago we came together and decided that it would be fantastic to have a lit fest for Leeds because there had never been one. So the 10 partners have worked together over three years to continue Leeds Lit Fest and this year we've got 26 events over six days with more than 50 writers and performers taking part. The majority of the festival is free bar two workshops um, and so people can just register, join us for a free ticket for wh whichever events that they like, uh, but we're just asking if uh, you can afford it, you would give us a small donation to help us with the running costs for this year and then going forward into the future, because we want to stay around, we want to do this every year. Uh, so, um, you know, and, and sort of highlight all those amazing things about Leeds and literature uh, and go beyond and bring in new voices to the city and, and internationally as well. Yeah, so it's just one um, because of COVID this year, for, most stuff has gone online. So it's just one, what actual form is Leeds, Leeds Lit Festival taking this year? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, back um, in the summer when we all were first able to, to meet up um, when um, lockdown restrictions eased, um, we started talking about what we wanted to do and, and whether we wanted to run Leeds Lit Fest, whether we we're going to be able to run it um, again uh, this, for this year, for 2021. Uh, and all the partners, you know, unanimously said, we've got to do something. We, you know, we need to give um, the writing talent of Leeds and the region a platform and we need to uh, give people something to look forward to. Um, we thought back then that we might be able to do uh, like in-person uh, events at one of the many venues across the city that have hosted us, um, but obviously that hasn't worked out uh, that way, sadly. So the festival is um, this year entirely 100% on Zoom, um, the platform we're using um, at the moment. Um, which has actually um, been working out really well so far. We've had uh, loads of engagement. We've had loads of registrations and, and we're getting people um, signing up for events that um, for the first time that haven't been to a Leeds Lit Fest event before. So yeah, uh, we're, we're on Zoom for this year. <laughs> so now we have a little bit of an insight of what Leeds Lit Fest is. Can you tell us who your main target is and who the festival is actually for? The festival, Ellie, is for everybody. You can be five to 105 and we want you to just 
log in, get onto your Zoom account and come and have some fun for six days with Blue Flipfest. So it is, I promise you, it's for everybody. And once you've had a look at the programme, I'm sure you will agree that you can find something um, that will, if you think about your family, I think you'll be able to find something for each of them that they might like to, um, you know, come along and listen to and, and take part in. So it is for everybody. Uh, like what, what, how many events are there? Like, um, what are the events like specifically? Well, um, we've got 26 events, George, and um, they, the, the programme is quite big. So I don't know if you want me to run through everything. It, it, it's just a, a, a sort of a, a very big programme. But where you can go and find out is if you go to our website, you go to www.leedslitfest.co.uk. It's really easy. There's a what's on page and you can just look for yourself and see what, you know, what you might um, might want to engage with. Um, we've got um, a huge variety of different kinds of events. So, you know, it's not just uh, uh, reading um, events like traditional reading events. We've got um, uh, discussion groups. We've got um, interactive events um, for children. Um, we've got a, a really um, varied, uh, a small but perfectly formed um, lineup. Ian, uh, what are you looking forward to? For, just what are you looking forward to for the Lit Fest? I suppose that the number one uh, event that I'm looking forward to um, is uh, happening on Friday, um, the 5th of March. It's an event um, called Bridges, um, and it features um, four or five fantastic poets um, whose work that I really love. Um, that's Malaika Booker, um, Keo Chingoyoni, Abdullah Adekola, and Emily Zobel Marshall. And that event uh, is called Bridges, uh, and it's working with two organisations, um, the David Olawali Memorial Association and um, Leeds Irish Health and Homes. Um, Leeds Irish Health and Homes are launching a, a, a poetry anthology um, that them and their partners and people that they work with uh, have put together. Uh, it's called, um, I think I'm pronouncing this correctly, the, um, the COVID Coil. Um, and it's a response uh, of the Irish community to um, COVID and to lockdown. Uh, and uh, there's also, of course, it's an Irish event. There's going to be some music uh, as well from, from Dave Hurley and friends. Um, and then um, I'm really proud to support um, DOMA, the David Olawali Memorial Association, in raising money for a blue plaque on Leeds Bridge to David Olawali, um, the Nigerian-British um, citizen whose body was pulled out of the River Air uh, in 1969 and they've been campaigning um, for many years to remember his life and campaign against uh, issues of uh, racism, um, um, mental health provision um, in the city that affected um, David and obviously many other people today. Um, so it's a joint book launch and um, campaigning um, fundraiser. So that's Bridges on uh, Friday the 5th um, of March. I'm really looking forward to that one. Well, first of all, I'm looking forward to it all because I'm just desperate for literature events that, you know, that we've homegrown uh, within Leeds. So that's, that's my first one. Then I would have to say, for me, the highlight um, is the Costa Book Award winner, Monique Roffey. Uh, and she's a brilliant writer and she's written something, uh, her novel is The Mermaid of Black Conch and it's kind of magical realism uh, and I've read it and it's set on a Caribbean island so it just transports you into this magical world 
So I really recommend it um, for you to read. And it, you know, it's quite hard hitting in places, but still really, really brilliant read. And she's just won this amazing award, the Costa Book Award for 2020. But the other amazing thing that, that is part of this is that the press, the publisher who produced, uh, who's published Monique's book is based in Leeds and they're PayPal Tree Press. And they are the world's largest um, publisher of Caribbean literature. I mean, that, that's just fantastic. So to have Monique and PayPal Tree Press represented at LitFest is just brilliant. Um, and then on the, the sort of, you could almost say the other end of the scale. So you've got Monique right at the top with her fantastic award and, you know, all the recognition that comes with it. We're launching four new anthologies of new writing. So, and they're all from Leeds-based organisations. So Ian's already mentioned the um, Irish uh, Health and Homes uh, uh, anthology, which I can never remember how to pronounce. So I'm just going to leave that one back with Ian. But there are three more. So um, there is uh, This New North from the Northern Short Story Festival, new writing, lots of Leeds people in it. There's Weighted Words from Peepal Tree Press and their reader and, and writers groups. Uh, there's the Irish Anthology and um, I'm just trying to work out what the last one is. Uh, da, da, da. Oh, Reflections from Hannah Stone and Leeds Church Institute. So uh, during the pandemic, Hannah is the poet theologian in residence and she um, uh, her, her blogs that she wrote uh, every month have been put together in a book. So it's all about reflections about living in COVID times. Um, so really interesting uh, insight into local community. So for me, it's that you've got the peak with Monique Roffey and then you've got the new writing that's coming out of Leeds. Uh, that excites me just as much as Monique coming to Litfest. So there you go, Johan. Uh, yeah, I, I just wanted to add, is there any specific, specific um, events that would target towards kind of young people in particular? Yeah, um, uh, we've got a couple of events uh, that have been brought to us by um, Leeds Libraries um, on the Saturday. Um, again, they're pay as you feel. Um, they're an hour um, each. Um, so, uh, you know, it's a good a good time for it. Um, uh, for example, there's Harry Heap happening at uh, 11 till 12. Book gobbling, would you believe, um, uh, based around his shiny Pippin um, books. It's an interactive session from Harry Heap. Uh, on how to make funny characters and how to put them uh, into an engaging and amazing story. Um, so that's happening um, on the uh, Saturday, which is the sixth um, Harry Heap, for example. Uh, and then um, uh, we've got uh, an another event um, straight after that with Liz Million, uh, an interactive um, drawing session, uh, again, happening on Zoom. So. Um, if you are a family, if you've got uh, kids at home and they're climbing the walls and maybe you're climbing the walls with them, um, we've got two events on the Saturday um, to uh, to distract them. Yeah, so that all sounds really amazing. But also, what do, what effect, what impact do you hope both these events and all the other events that Leeds Litfest has to offer, what impact do you hope that this will have, especially during COVID times and this year? Well, I mean... Um, we hope, just as Fiona said, that um, it's not just about celebrating uh, people at uh, the peak of their career. You know, um, last year, 
Uh, one of our big headliners was Roger Robinson. Uh, his book, A, Port A Portable Paradise, had, uh, he just won um, the T.S. Eliot Prize at that time, one of the biggest poetry prizes um, in the country. Um, it was it was almost like he got off uh, got out of a taxi from the award ceremony <laughs> when when he performed for us. Um, so it's amazing to celebrate the established writers and Leeds has got such a um, a big history of amazing writers that we want to celebrate. But really, the great thing is to think that people will go away um, from our events um, and they will start putting pen to paper. They will start um, recording their own stuff. They'll start making their own work. We'll get. We need a new generation um, of writers, or a new generation of all ages. You know, uh, it's not just about getting young people to start writing; older people as well. We need new writers. We need to invest in new talent all the time, and that ultimately is what I hope Leeds Lit Fest will do best. So that was Fiona and Ian talking to young people in Next Generation Foundation about Leeds Lit Fest. This is the third Leeds Lit Fest. Last year it won a national award uh, and that was quite an achievement and they're doing it all online. This week there are still two days to go and tonight. So there are events tonight and Saturday and Sunday. If you go to the website of Leeds Lit Fest, they're all free. You can just join them. I've been to a few and it's been great. Um, but we have, later in the month, our own writing festival, our own literature festival at Chapel FM. Well, not at Chapel FM again. We're going to be doing this remotely. But there are 36 programmes over the weekend of the 26th to the 28th of March. And there are four workshops being led by young writers from the Writing Squad, which is a training ground in the north of England for promising young writers. And all these workshops are free. Anybody can can uh, can sign up to them so as long as there are places left so do go to our website tony's going to give you some details a bit later on but yeah it's, it's postponed from last year and the, the theme is vision what do we see what don't we see what do we see in the future uh you know what's 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 is it utopian dystopian mystical visions spectacles anything to do with vision at all and uh, so i do recommend you to have a look at the program which elliot's put up there now all the programs are there have a look so on monday we've also got a really really amazing uh, series of programs to celebrate international women's day it's uh, a bumper program of events and uh, yeah, international women's day happens every year we always do something at chapel fm and this time we're doing it again even more so this time which is great and we're able to do that because we're online so i was going to ask our guests jan aaron and sam about yeah a woman in history or now around that they would celebrate so first of all aaron what about you so um mine would have to be a woman called sarah Hawkins who I worked with many, many years, and uh, she's the one who sort of, she pushed me into acting, she, she, she showed me how, and she, she's the first person outside my family to believe in me, believe that I can do something, and I think that's amazing that she did that, and that she keeps doing that for all the people. She'd love to hear you say that, uh, Aaron. Uh, she was obviously she worked at Chapel FM, worked all over the place, moved to Scotland now, I think. But yeah, she is a truly amazing person, and I, it's great that you chose her. Thank you very much indeed. Um, Sam, what about you? Um, uh, Peter, I'm not going to lie. I'm going to have to be really, um, really just like 
stereotypical, and I'm gonna have to go with my mum. Um, <laughs> Alison Armitage. She is. She is. Um, probably she's she's the reason I'm here now. She's never said that I can't do anything. Uh, she's always had belief in me. Uh, if it weren't for her, I wouldn't be alive necessarily. Like you know, she didn't let me live live in a belly for nine months. I wouldn't be here where I am today, and she has always been there to support me, no matter what I've decided to do. And uh, she's also um, given me one of one of the best upbringings I think I can I can imagine. I can well, have Sam, it any other way over. Well, I'm not going to lie to you. There is either a tear in my eye, or I'm chopping onions. Uh, and uh, that's on top of hearing about Sarah Olkin. So. Jan, you're next, but if you if you if if something too emotional, I'm going to have to withdraw from this broadcast and go and get a <laughs> tissue. So, Jan, what's yours? <laughs> Who's yours? Um, I I don't want to ruin it, but uh, I, I mean, I was about to say my mum as well. Um, go on, yeah, say I, whatever you want, or you can choose uh, two. Um, but yeah, I mean, she's just always supporting me. Um, when when I'm going through hard times, like even with really small things, if I'm just struggling with my schoolwork or something, she's always there to help me. You know, she never she never takes me for granted, and I I just you know she she's always there to help me out. She's always there to support me, and I I don't want to take her. Oh my oh my dad as well. I, I don't want to take anyone who helps me for granted, and um, yeah, I, I know she loves me very much. Um, yeah, she's a good mum. Well, I'm on the floor now. This is ridiculous. Mm. I've never been brought to this state in all my time broadcasting. Uh, but that was <laughs> that was brilliant. So I'm sure all those people, those two mums and Sarah, who is also a mum actually, uh, I'm sure they'd love to hear that. So please do say it to them or, or at least tell them to listen in. Make it a surprise. So Tony, over to you before I, uh, before I fall apart completely. Uh, that was great. Thanks, everybody, for those stories. And that's been one of the best things about doing this International Women's Day. We've had some other conversations, people talking about the women who, have, who they want to celebrate. And there's been just really great stories. So Monday, it starts at 1 o'clock on East Leeds FM, uh, a whole set, section about connecting women with lots of personal stories, oral histories, conversations, panels. And then at 5 o'clock, it's Young Women Connect Us on the air. So we'll have Saren and Ellie, who are regular hosts here with us on The Red Kite. We'll be presenting a collection of history and discussions, plus music. And then at 7 o'clock, it's all about women in sound. So Sean, our music worker here at East Leeds FM, is going to be joined by Holly and Nikki, and they're going to play some found, so found sound and songs and even some meditation mixed in. So basically from 1 o'clock in the afternoon straight up till 10 o'clock at night, and of course, as always, you can go back and listen anytime on the East Leeds FM, Chapel FM website. So now we're going to go over to the song chosen by Denise, our guest earlier from the census. And here is Prince and Purple Rain. I never meant to call you when you're 
That was Purple Rain by Prince, chosen again by Denise from the census, who was with us earlier. So we're almost at the end of the show. We've got one more feature we're bringing back in just a moment here. But first of all, I want to say, if you're around, listening in, tune in next Friday night, March 12th. Chapel FM is going to be presenting International Experimental Music Night, curated by John Tulin, our master of experimental music, ambient jazz and other things. So he's going to be playing all kinds of things, Anglo, Indian, Scandinavian, drone music, all kinds of things to unsettle the inquiring mind. And that's next Friday, March 12th at 7.30. And you can stream it live on the Chapel FM website. So, so thanks, Gianluigi, Sam, Aaron, Peter, for another great episode of Red Kite. Thank you all. And especially for the stories, Peter and I, Still have tears. It's great, great <laughs> stories. Um, so thank you all. And uh, now, Sam, tell us what we have next to close out the show. Yeah, to close out the show, we have part two of uh, myself and all of the other Next Generation broadcasters interview on, well, sorry, with Tom Cassani, the illusionist, uh, which we all uh, really, really enjoyed. Uh, we're going to hear him talk about how he can possibly bring magic to radio which is really exciting we, we laid down the challenge we're gonna see if he can respond in a few months and what do you think aaron you were the one that laid down the challenge do you think he can do it i'm hoping he can i really am hoping he can but all right we'll, we'll see excellent well here is tom Cassani, the magician you ever feel a bit um a bit nervous that the people that you're the audience that you're performing to is gonna see what you're doing and then be like yeah, I can see he's done that, which means that that's happened. And uh, yeah, yeah, all the time. <laughs> yeah, um, I suppose part of the preparation is to make sure that that will never happen. Um, and that preparation is, you know, about ten years of obsessive practice, <laughs> you know, um, or you know, uh, setting the stage right, watching it from every angle. I think it's also that that's because of the kind of shows that I make. Um, my shows aren't intended to be, you know, here's a trick, try and catch me out. You know, um, they're meant to be used to support the other stuff that I'm talking about or, you know, take us through perhaps, um, you know, towards feeling something. So it's not necessarily all about the spectacle or the trickery for me so i do worry about that of course but it's not always the main concern um yeah 
So uh, just want to ask you this because they they listen to uh, the I think it's a podcast or something you did a radio okay. show, and you're saying that there's some tricks you wish you hadn't done. Mm-hmm. I'm just curious about what that means. There there are tricks and objects that are so um, uh, unavoidably associated with the character of the magician. So things like a deck of cards, things like, you know, three coins, that um, because I spent so much time with those objects, they have become, you know, I'm so comfortable with them. Um, And so if I picked up a deck of cards for the first time, not as a magician, the way I handled the cards would be totally different. And it was look as if I don't know what I'm doing. So then if I did a really good trick with them, it would be way more impressive than if I picked up a deck of cards, handled them really well, and then did a really good trick with them. Everyone would just go, oh, well, he knows how to handle cards. So I think what that line is about is about... um, uh, it's, It's really hard for me to not think like a magician. And sometimes I really want to think like just... Uh, an everyday spectator to be able to take a step back and see, you know, what I'm doing from how, you know, from the way other people see it. And um, it's really hard for me to do that because of, of, you know. Imagine that could get quite annoying if you're watching something like, I know how that's done. Yeah, exactly. Exactly that. Um, That's that's a really tricky thing as well uh, in that I I watch other people's performances with a really particular um, point of view, which is sometimes good and sometimes I'd rather I didn't have, you know. Uh, Would you say that's sort of the the negative side to what you do? Um, I, it could be a negative side. I, I would say that um, all performers have this to some extent, just in a different um, genre or a different category, I would say. So I say it's just part of being an artist, I suppose. Um, it's not necessarily negative, but uh, because you take it and you go, okay, now I have to force myself to think differently. And that's a good challenge to to have, I think. So Sam does a number of radio projects related to, to, to sports. In fact, you can see behind him is, uh, I think it's oh, yeah. Derek Rose from the Bulls, but it makes me think of Michael Jordan. And oh, yeah. you know, certain, there are certain athletes, right, who I'm from Chicago, so I used to see Michael Jordan play. And people would often say what he does is just, it's superhuman. It's it's magical, and I'm just curious. And I'm sort of almost asking a question. I hope this wasn't your question, Sam, but almost a Sam-related question. Of do you think there's a connection? Sometimes do you see sort of athletes or even certain athletes? And Sam, you can jump on in this too, who who are able to do something that, that you feel like almost ventures into that world of magic. Um, I think. When it comes to athleticism, I think there is uh, totally a really super high level of physical skill that is, um, you can talk about in exactly the same way as you might talk about a card magician, you know, a really good card magician or a really good, um, you know, object manipulator. Um, And that discipline and training and, making a career out of just being able to do one thing really, really well is, 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 you know, 
is is almost identical it's just you're just doing it in basketball or you're doing it in golf or you're doing it with playing cards mm-hmm. um i think society or um there that the the way in which those skills are valued is where it differs because um i mean you could talk about basketball as an art or you know being able to you know score a goal consistently every single time from a certain dif- distance you know is is artistic in some way um but it's valued by society in a different way than you know magic is um but yeah that that idea of training and discipline and physical skill is uh is absolutely the same yeah well we're i think we're almost to the end of the interview although there's probably lots of other questions we could ask but i think sam was going to take it in the direction of well you yeah know, your radio and magic yeah. right so you, you've, you've come on a radio show today and you're you're an illusionist a magic person is that do you think there is any future where magic and radio can coexist and anyone can do like a, a show over the radio well there's there's a history of it already um there's uh magicians have done tricks over the radio for years um it there's it's limited in what you can do um there's there's tricks that exist that you can do over the radio um none that i know uh there's tricks that have been done through the post magic always finds a way of um you know operating within whatever parameters it's given um i think I think it's it in some ways uh the language of magic I find fascinating and I think that's something that I um I'm curious to explore um because the language of magic is something which is so rehearsed and so you know written down and every magician says the same lines over and over again and I think that's something that magic has got a bit stuck in maybe could be expanded over radio in you know the the scripting of magic or the voice of the magician or um instructions you know i've got books which are just instructions and instructions and instructions um i think there's loads of scope for magic or illusion or a lot of what magic has to offer to just exist in the world of the radio um I don't know about entire magic radio shows. I don't know how that would work. I'm sure it could work. Um, but I think it would need... Magic had, has this tendency, or magicians have this tendency, to just lift what they've already got and plonk it down in a new context. And often that doesn't really work. I think it would need a bit of dismantling, taking apart, and then putting back together on the radio. But, um, you know, that's, that's an exciting prospect, I think. See now, it's now. I want. I want to lay down the challenge now. <laughs> do you think? Do you think you could come up with a trick for the radio? Yeah, totally. Yes. Well, I'm throwing down the gauntlet. All right, I'll try and cook one up for you. Well, I think, depending on who you ask, this year is the hundredth anniversary of radio, more or less, or at least commercial radio. Yeah. Debate, whether it was 1920 or 21 or 22, but I often do think that when radio first appeared, right to people. It, it totally magic. was magic, right? Yeah. I mean, voice yeah. try, especially when it was nowadays, it's the internet, which isn't quite as magical. But when it was a radio wave traveling through the atmosphere, 
going through walls, appearing in your living room from across huge distances. Like that's about as magical as you can get, I think. So, yeah. I mean, now we've gotten used to it. It's been a hundred years, but. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. There's a, there's a great quote, which I can't remember and I should remember, should be able to know, which I'm going to look up now. Um, and it's about magic uh, being indistinguishable from uh technology um oh uh, yeah what is that a called? sufficiently advanced technology yeah. is indistinguishable from magic ah uh, yeah yeah um and that you know that's just always the case you know it will always be that way um so yeah magic is always alongside advances in technology i think it's always there lurking have you ever but, failed at a trick once like in public uh yeah i have lots of times um yeah i've done that uh on stage in in the middle of a show that's happened um and whilst you know just performing close up with people um i think after a while you've you figure out tactics of being able to deal with something going wrong um um you you nobody knows what's about to happen nobody knows what's meant to happen Nobody knows what the trick is meant to look like, as long as you don't tell them beforehand. So if it goes wrong halfway through and you can think, you know, on your feet, then uh, you can always turn it into something else. Okay, that was just a test. Now we're going to try it for real, you know, or, um, okay, great. Um, uh, I don't think you're the right person to do this with. Let's try it with someone else, you know you find ways of dealing with those problems or you just own it and you go, yeah, it didn't work. It doesn't work sometimes onto the next one. And then there's, you, um, you know, there's yeah. a thing that Penn and Teller do where they, they blame the audience member. You're not magical enough is what they say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. I think there's lots of interesting lessons in that when it, when it goes, the trick goes wrong, how you, which you can apply to all kinds of situations. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, you can fight for all, to all sorts of things. You know, theatre, nobody knows what's about to happen. You know, radio, nobody knows what the next question was meant to be. So um, here's my backup question. Or seems that you're talking about that thing now, I'm going to jump these four questions and start talking about the last one and we'll have to skip back. You know, it's, you know a lot of that quick thinking improvisation with something that you know really well is applicable to all sorts of things, yeah. And talking about last questions brings us on nicely to uh so what we'd like to do to finish off an interview is ask our guests for a song that means something to them. Hmm. So what would be your song? Um I've got a little playlist of songs that I've been compiling, uh, which are all songs that I would or tracks that I would perform to or like to include in a performance. I'm just having a look. I think one of the most recent ones was Mac the Knife, which is um, a classic song and it's been covered by lots of people, but it's a version by Dave Van Ronk. Um, and I only discovered him quite recently and he was singing Mac the Knife and I didn't realize that it was Mac the Knife until a couple of listens through and then I was like oh it's, it's this song and I was kind of um, really shocked and fascinated I mean his voice is amazing and the kind of emotion that comes through in the song is quite spooky um, 
but the way in which one singer can completely change a song to just sound and feel totally different to how you already know it. And that kind of transformation I thought was quite amazing. Um, so yeah, I think that'll be my song that I choose. Uh, Mac the Knife by Dave Van Ronk, yeah. That's a good song choice, Tom. Thanks for coming on and talking with us today. Very much for having me. Out of sight. 